Welcome back, everybody. We are live for another episode of Growing with My Fellow Growers. This week, we're joined by a special guest, but I'll start off by introducing the panel members that you're probably familiar with before we get to the uh, special guest. So starting with, first, like I normally do, Spartan Grown. Hey, what's up, everybody? I'm Spartan Grown. You can find me on Instagram at Spartan Grown, all one word, no spaces, or uh, you could always shoot me an email at spartangrown at gmail.com if you have questions. I not only do I grow uh, organically at home, but I also do synthetics at work. So I have kind of a foot in both those worlds. Always happy to have you back. And next up, we got Dr. MJ from CocoaForCannabis.com. Hey, everyone. I am Dr. MJ Coco from CocoaForCannabis.com, and I am happy to be back. Happy to see Full Duplex and everybody in the chat. Looking forward to another great show this week. And next up, we have our resident IPM specialist and awesome dude, Matthew Gates. Yeah, hey everyone, this is Matthew Gates. You can find most of my content about plant health on two places, Sync Angel on Instagram and my YouTube channel, Zenthanol. You can also find me on zenthanol.com. Happy to have you back. And next up, we've got Brandon Russ. What's going on, everybody? Glad to be here. Uh, really stoked to have uh, Dan on here, full duplex. Um, it's going to be a good show today. Uh, just always a pleasure, you know. What what can you say? It's a Sunday. We got cheap home grow, talking weed, smoking weed. So I'm glad to be here. Glad to have you back. Next up, we got Aaron, the grower. What's up? Yeah, this is this is so exciting. Uh, so cool to see full duplex on here. Um, I'm Aaron, the grower, ATG Acres on Instagram, atgacres.com. Uh, just stoked to be here. Happy to have you back and uh, soon to be partners in Oklahoma with uh, Pure Breeding. Kyle, welcome. Hey, everybody. Glad to see the Dan back. It was real nice. And I'm glad everyone's here and safe. And uh, yeah, uh, my name is Kyle Breeder. I have a, <clears throat> I'm sorry, a seed company. If anybody's looking for feminized seeds, I do have a website, which is uh, the letter P followed by breeding.com. And all my social media platforms is now Pure Breeding. And yeah, if anybody ever has any questions, feel free to reach out. I enjoy communicating with everyone. And uh, yeah, I'm glad to, glad to be here. Happy to have you back. And uh, last from our regular panel members, the American one. Welcome. Woohoo, Jack. Uh, everyone on the panel, glad to be here. Everyone in chat, good to see you all. Uh, I'm the American one uh, on the YouTubes and the American one underscore with underscore Akeens on the IGs. Most of you know where to find me if you have any problems. Uh, just uh, look for the little guy with the American top hat when you search the American one and you'll find me. Good stuff. Always happy to have you back. And last but certainly not least, our special guest this week. Many of you know him from the Autoflower Network, uh, formerly known by a different name, but I'll let him introduce himself. <laughs> Thanks for having me on this afternoon, guys. Uh, I go by Full Duplex. Some of you know me as Dan. Uh, I've kind of come out with the real name recently. Um, as Jack was talking there, I... Formerly Mandalorian Genetics, but now no Automatics. Um, you can find me full duplex underscore AFN on Instagram or nomadomatics.com. Um, you'll get a rundown of everything that we're doing there and some updates. Uh, join the mailing list and stuff like that. It's an honor to be back with you guys. Sorry it's been so long, but it's always like home when I come back. So I appreciate it. I love it when we have somebody from our, we have, for those who don't know, a little cheap home grow uh, group chat where we send messages like where the Zoom link goes out to. And uh, most of the panel members are there, but we have a, a few extras like uh, 
Hota Herb is in there and uh, Green Goddess Supply, who occasionally join us on the show and are always welcome. And Dan is one of those people. So um, I know recently you've sent Brandon as well as Kyle some genetics, and I'm not sure which strain. So maybe that'd be a good place to start off uh, talking about because that's a good connection, I think, that you already have with this group. And it'd be interesting for a lot of the listeners to find out some of the collaboration that's going on. Yeah, man, well, I appreciate it. Um, yeah. So Brandon picked up some of my autos uh, earlier this spring, mid or early summer. Um, to go out there at the farm. And then Kyle and I are actually working together on a collaboration and hybridization. So it's really exciting uh, to work with both of you gentlemen. Um, Kyle sent me some auto flowers that uh, honestly, I've never smelled terps on like before. I was pretty impressed with the terp profile that's coming off of those. And um, it's, it's, it's amazing um, just to be able to expand and reach out and kind of get the auto flower out of the, the shadow, especially seeing it on commercial facilities um, and with the home growers too. It's become a huge wave with uh, home growers, like as more states start to go legal, we're seeing more of the autos just showing up in home tents. Oh yeah. <laughs> I have to say, um, you know, bad timing on our part when we did all of our planning and we, we completely like jacked up our whole like outdoor. Cause it was our first time in Oklahoma and uh, we were really just, short on staff and stuff but i'll tell you what dude um everything that we harvested out of the anvil and the black strap had so much color one was one was straight purple every single one every single one straight purple had that nice that that cannabis smell that is is the nice pine lemon terps right and then we had the other one which instead of being just straight purple the colors were more of a rainbow mix where you got a lot of green magenta uh turquoise and it was kind of mixed all in in through there even some uh, like off red coloration and they're really nice we're we're going to send some off for testing for to see a percentage on return for frozen material. Um, and then I think we're probably going to do maybe some a pre-roll line with uh, the rest of what, we're, what we have. Nice. And I know for, <clears throat> you know, um, earlier this summer, I was able to run some for some hash. And it was really interesting to see the return actually be purple. You know, you get a lot of colored water often. Um, but then you usually get, you know, the golden colored product and a lot of the, well, especially Anvil, I know either dried or fresh frozen, um, they both wash out purple, like everything I haven't got it to the pressed phase yet. I didn't have enough to both enter into the cup as well as like press it. But I will tell you that any kind of fresh frozen that comes from Anvil will be a colored, at least hash, uh, the rosin, not sure yet. It'd be interesting to see somebody run it that far. I haven't done enough to actually, you know, use some for the press process. I would guess if the hash is purple, the press will be purple. The anthocyanin is in there. I've even seen people who make THCA uh, solventless, where they just keep on pressing the same thing in the same bag, mm -hmm. basically over and over at low temps to get the terpenes out. And you're left with basically THCA. And even the THCA will still have anthocyanin in it because I guess it doesn't degrade at as low of a temperature as the terpenes do. So uh, I'd be interested to see it made to the rosin. Every single person I've seen grow the anvil has it purple. I know uh, Spartan Grown got to try some out of Sequence Greenhouse. Um, they did a good amount of it, like down the rows between the photo period plants. And I think they had a pretty successful 
whole crop because of that. Uh, they had a pretty huge harvest. I mean, not solely because of that. They did a lot of work on the photo period side of things as well, but it was great to see them have success as well as many others. And uh, I'm curious if Spartan can remember that. I remember there's a YouTube video, of, I think you and Abolished Farms reviewing uh, one of the strains from uh, now Gnome Automatics. Yeah, I, um, the one thing that stood out the most on Anvil specifically is the bud. Like Brandon said, they're super purple, but they also, like the look of them, it looked like it was made of velvet or something. Like it was almost like it was made of a, a felt it's or not fabric. The, it's not the regular purple, man. There was some, right, right. It, there was some of them that had a specific purple to them. And it was like, it, it's weird. It's a, they had a different shade. There was like one phenotype that was a certain shade of purple. And then I remember going through all of the things that we were harvesting and separating out like the phenos that had this, like, I don't know. I don't know how to describe it. It was just like more of a, a like, it would just looked more appealing to me. It was just, it, I just gravitated towards it more. It wasn't like super, it wasn't really, really dark, but it was more of like a, true vibrant purple um there is another compound that's blue um that has been found in cannabis called azaline i believe in really really low concentrations talk to a bot botanic chemist jonathan about this once in uh, like a private dm and he's like you know antho is not the only thing that causes the, that blue color now antho can be like purple red blue <clears throat> but uh yeah dude azaline i don't know if anybody else knows anything about it or if they've seen it in tests before but apparently it's an isomer of naphthalene hmm. is what azuline oh. assuming i have the word uh, spelling right i have here a-z-u-l-e-n-e is that do you think what is responsible for some of the blue concentrate yes. that was floating What's around like for a little bit uh, well, that's that's potentially what um, can be left behind in the THCA, like you were you were talking about. Yeah, just a just a cursory Wikipedia article, not really. What and what is that word? Here. Naphthamine? Is that what you said? What is Na that? Naphthalene. 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 What is that? That's um, people who know about uh, mothballs, for example. It's a toxic compound. Um, see. Uh, uh, it's an organic compound here. People look up on Wikipedia. Um, I'm, I'm familiar with it as an ingredient for like some pesticides and also like in mothballs. Not to uh, rain on anyone's parade, like, you know, sodium and chloride put together as table salt, but, you know, by themselves, it's a metal and, you know, uh, <laughs> other things. Yeah. Um, so you're right. I mean, here, just this cursory uh, article says that um, it's a chromophore. It does it is make things blue, certainly. Um, it was discovered in yarrow and wormwood, it says here. And um, I guess we've known about it for a long time, since about since late 1800s. Well, and I guess uh, that's a, a lot on the blue topic, but I know Dan is actually more known for the purples. And I'm curious if there was a time in your breeding where you're like, Hey, I'm going to start selecting for purple or were the purple plants just the best ones that you were working with? What drove the anvil and uh, maybe some of your other, I think even coal miners daughter is pretty dark from what I've seen, almost black. Is there a, hey. uh, 
Sorry, no, I interrupted you. No, it's okay. Is there is there any reason that did you pick for that, or is it something that just came about in your breeding process? Um, no, uh, the purple came from frustration of buying stuff like years ago. I wanted to have purple flowers. I wanted to see purple. I'd seen plenty of green. Um, that was the actual motivation for the depth of anvil was to actually have something consistent across the board that not only did purple but was also an expression you know, structurally sound, but yeah, the purple was completely selected for, um, by generate by, cause they're at F eight now, uh, in regular form, the, by generation four, I was getting both purple males and purple females, um, where, you know, as the, the male cluster started forming on the crown of the, um, you know, the bud sites, like the sacks were as dark as flowers were coming out. And there were three generations F, five f6 and f7 were all used purple male purple female uh during the pheno hunt and i'd be really shocked at this point to see a green one i don't think i've ever seen a green one uh, but yeah it was primarily selected for that purple bud and for the purple hash i really wanted to see purple hash like why not take it a step further i knew the anthocyanins were high enough a lot of times they get up into the stalk of the trichrome they don't make it into the glandular he glandular heads and when they started when i started seeing that it's like all right it's time to start playing with something else um, the coal miner's daughter is more, I want to go darker with her. Um, I do like the dark leaf fade too. Anvil can do it. Uh, she does have pretty colors during fade, but not so much as the coal miner's daughter, uh, black flower and then black leaf. Now breaking down some of the, sorry, go ahead, Kyle. Uh, I was just gonna, yeah, I was going to ask you that. Have you ever seen any outliers, uh, meaning like a, a random green one and a whole seed lot or something, but I guess you, you kind of answered it. Yeah, no, I haven't. Um, I mean, there's been a couple commercial farms other than Brandon's where I've worked with a lot here in Washington um, and everybody who's grown, there's never been a green outlier, which is completely incredible. Um, and, and it's not just two or 300 seeds. It's been thousands of seeds over the last three years. I've been working with commercial facilities. I've seen hundreds of home growers growing them and uh, maybe not hundreds. I don't know. It seems like hundreds at this point with the hashtag. I follow it and just follow uh, people that grow it and, uh, you reposting a lot of them and it's all purple from what i've seen so that's pretty uh f8 is pretty <laughs> deep into the genetics so uh, i think you've nailed down the purple for sure the coal miner's daughter uh the other thing that i noticed was it does seem anvil is purple and it's more black and i think a lot of people don't have that distinction a lot of people just think like dark purple everything's purple but i think that there is that really like a where i saw it first was the forum cut girl scout cookie uh when it's well done in my opinion it's black leaf if it's the true cut, um, I have a few buddies here in San Diego that just kill it with that. And uh, although it's like potentially uh, Hermy, you know, prone, it has okay. that really killer fade and it's frosty and uh, good high, uh, not a huge yielder. It doesn't love light. But uh, as far as the coal miner's daughter, um, and actually, I guess starting with the anvil, what is uh, some of the genetic lineage on that? Um, I do, my breeding programs are a little bit different. Uh, I do phenotypical isolations. I'll take photo to auto, usually get to about F3 from those. And then I will look for matching parents out of that progeny. Um, and then I will split the lines going down there and then chase them down the rabbit, rabbit hole and, you know, line breeding style stabilization for sex, obviously, uh, first and foremost, and then traits, terpenes and expression after that. Um, so with that said, the original makeup genetics for, Anvil and coal miner's daughter actually came from Mossy's Dragon, which is a Spanish cultivar I had sourced 10 years ago, was already in full autoflower form. And there's some deep chunk and Bubba Kush on the photo period side. Um, kind of stayed with the Afghani influence. I seem to see a lot of colors coming from those lines. Uh, 
the bud structures I like. I like the stone. That's my preference. Um, sativas every now and again, but the Bubba Kush and uh, the Deep Chunk, man. The Deep Chunk, honestly, is where your blacks are coming from. I mean, it's it's some beautiful, beautiful Afghani weed. And that's Tom Hill's original Deep Chunk, too. I've only heard of it. I haven't got to play around with it, but I've seen people grow and it does tend to be pretty dark. I thought because of the name, it would be a pretty heavy yielder, but I've also been told that Deep Chunk wasn't a big yielder. So I'm curious what your thoughts are on that. It's not a real big yielder. It's not super high in THC either. Uh, the best tests we had that I saw out here on the farms were between 18 and 20%. I mean, some people might consider that high. A lot of you know today's standards don't see that as high. I don't believe it's all about THC these days. But uh, yield-wise, not a very big yielder, but colorful, um, very earthy, spicy, like white pepper style terpenes and taste to those. Uh, but yeah, and it does real well, surprisingly, with the climate up here as well. You know, we get a lot of rain starting about three weeks, two, three weeks ago, and it held up through, you know, all the fungal issues that we have with PM and botrytis. That's a great uh, trade to have for sure. And I know a lot more people are getting into uh, autoflowers. I think that you and maybe some of the uh, autoflower network were kind of on the early end of that because when I first started hearing about autos, there wasn't really a lot of good publicity. Um, the low riders and some of the stuff, a lot of people were not very fond of them. You'd see a bit, like several plants that were shorter and uh, didn't do as well. But I think uh, you, as well as a handful of other auto breeders have taken it a long way since I think it was about a decade ago when the low rider was like the one, but now there's a lot more options that are a lot better performing. There are, I mean, we started the autoflower network. Uh, so it's 2021. So yeah, it was 10 years ago, uh, 2011, uh, previous to that, you know, hung out on other, you know, other forums and stuff, you know, getting my feet wet with them, but yeah, I've been working on them since then. I saw some potential back then. I could tell that the plant needed help itself. I mean, it had a lot of potential and there's still monumental amount of work to be done. There's a lot of what I'm seeing, like coexisting traits to the day neutral trait. And that's a whole different rabbit hole. But like working some of that out of the structure is like where it needs to go. And what I've seen a lot of the other breeders like Daz, for example, from Night Owl, you know, he's put a lot of dedication into it. And he's been at it longer. I would say, yeah, definitely longer than I have been. I know he worked with Mephisto for a while. Um, but yeah, there's a lot. There's a there's a good group of us out there. And it's a nice thing. It's a nice community. Ever since the Autoflower Network, we kind of all watch each other's back. I see a nice family on that side of the auto flowers than other sides. You know what I mean? I see a lot of drama other places, but not with the auto community. They kind of stick together. I've seen that as well. And it's nice to see um, Daz left Mephisto. I think those guys are over in Spain, if I'm not mistaken, but they did sure. a lot of great work. The Forgotten Cookies uh, going on to like Chef Anna. He, he was one of the first people I ever saw test over like 20 or even 25% THC with autos, which I think put in a lot of people's mind, like, oh, these can actually have potency. Although we were just talking about THC percentage isn't everything. It was nice right. to see that they were actually able to get up as high as some of the, you know, photo periods that a lot of people like. But that said, I think a lot of the true OGs and older Afghanis are in that like 17 to 20% range and can have a really strong high, but don't necessarily represent it in just the cannabinoid numbers. It might be terpenes or other minor, you know, influences, but it's right that you got to work with uh, some of those uh, classics, the, you know, Deep Chunk, as well as the uh, Bubba. I'm a huge Bubba fan. Uh, Me too. Some of the strongest, uh, really good flavor I, it, it's uh very fond for me and i know probably a lot of other people on this panel enjoy it um how much of that do you think is still representative like when you have some anvil do you notice uh any of those bubble traits coming through not anymore not this far down the line i mean it's been isolated so much it's kind of stand up like i don't get the hints of the original bubba 
that I had that I use for it at this point anymore. Uh, she was mainly used to kind of like increase potency a little bit, diversify the terpene profile and, you know, bring in some of those minor cannabinoids that we were talking about, something unique and different. Have you ever done any targeted breeding toward or selections towards the, um, the flowering time? Yes. A um, couple of things, uh, flowering time. And that's a, that's a double-edged sword with autoflowers, because if you want the flowering, if you want a larger plant to get away from what we were talking about, with like the original low riders, you have to increase that Longer. yield. It's, yeah. You know, and I mean, I've got stuff that'll go from like seed legitimate germination to you can cut down in 55 days. Uh, the Bobby's widow, for example, 55 days, she doesn't get massively huge, but you get nice, dense resinous covered buds. Um, but anvil, it can run up to 90 to hundred days. The veg period is longer. And of course the flower period is, uh, about average, I would say, you know, as far as like, once it triggers over, you know, out of pre-flower to actually flower out, but I'm working more with flower times with these long season photo periods that I'm seeing up here. Like, I don't like, there's going to be some projects that are going to be dealing with, you know, not converting a specific photo period to an auto flower, but using traits that I like from those photo periods, like the mold resistance and stuff like that into a new auto flower form. And then I also kind of want to work the other side and see if I can take some of the stuff that's, you know, takes 12 weeks to flower and get it done and shorten that period of time for photo periods for this wet climate, like here or Michigan or even Maine. You know, a lot of my markets, New England, as well as, you know, anywhere across the top of the United States is the largest part of my market. Hey, I got a question. Oh, sorry. Yeah. No, I, was just gonna say, I think that's powerful for as far as outdoor growing goes, autos, and uh, maybe a little bit longer to go outside to uh, get you a little bit extra yield when it's not really going to take a whole lot more effort on your part, really, since you stick it in the ground. Right. But then again, you're pushing up against the short flowering photo period strains that so it's still got to be shorter than that, but you know what I mean? I can understand the difficulty there. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, Pinkleberry is a great example. I mean, that thing wants to start flowering in, it was middle of July. And I mean, I'm still at 14.5 now. I mean, I watch my daylight hours, seeing watching these triggers, because that's what I'm hunting specifically for. And to see that thing kick off in like middle of July and finish like second week of September, like it was done. Nice which is tremendously huge up here. So, you know, like those are the kind of traits that I'm hunting down. So if you take an autoflower, can you induce flowering by putting it into 12 and 12 or it has no effect on that because of its innate autoflowering, uh, you know, name? You know, I mean, I've done, I've run a few in 12, 12 and I haven't seen it speed it up. What I've seen it do is like completely diminish your yield. Uh, there's something uh, about the, the DLI that it needs and the intensity of the light it needs. Like from my experience, 15 hours or less, you're pushing it. Uh, recommend, like if they're growing in a greenhouse out here, I always say, like, especially if they want to do two crops a year, light assist, you know, get them at least 16 hours at a minimum um, in okay. most greenhouses. Uh, but I, yeah, the biggest impact I've seen is yield. Now you can get them to flower a little faster. And I think Matthew and I were tossing this around a little bit in chat. Uh, yesterday or the day before, um, you know, smaller root zone environment contain that root zone environment. They tend to want to kick off a little bit earlier. Um, and that's still some of the old rural traits that are in there too. I noticed some people right. that's, they complain about that. It will flip soon, but they're often in like a small pot and they didn't transplant it. And that's why a lot of people then started suggesting go right into the final pot. 
I think Dr. MJ in the past has mentioned often, you know, you get more yield because you're giving it more light and it can accept that more light photosynthesis is happening. So it's going to generate more biomass, which is one of the big arguments for even like growing autos indoor. I think Daz, uh, b- before uh, he was with them, Mephisto, uh, they were like, one of them was a photo period guy. One of them was an auto guy and they tried to have a yield competition and the uh, photo period was a little bit better quality flavor, but the auto kicked his ass in the yield. So they're like, let's, you know, mix these together. And I was Mephisto's uh, genetics was born. And um, so I think that there's definitely credence to trying to continue to push auto flowers forward because uh, you can get a lot out of the lights. Even, although you have to run them longer, you can get crazy yields and pretty good time. So. Yeah, absolutely. That's one of the biggest advantages, I think, especially when you're looking forward in terms of like the, the future commercial market, maximizing returns to space and to, harvest window per space. Um, both of those autos have, have significant advantages there, but that's a big one. Being able to run the lights and power the plants and power photosynthesis for 18, 20, 24 hours instead of only 12 um, really changes sort of the, the quantum yield that you can deliver to your plants. I want to go back and kind of highlight that chat that you referenced there, Dan, because I think it's more important than, than just glossing over because the little, the little detail you guys were getting into as far as media itself. Like, I think a lot of people looking into autos have heard the small pot thing, but I don't think a lot of people have heard that if you have a real heavy soil, that it acts almost like a small pot. And when, it, when that root gets that resistance, it can still kick it off. So some people might change their media and get better results just using a more loose media. So I just wanted to highlight that a little bit because I think that was it was news to me. I hadn't really considered it. So it was something that I learned in your guys' conversation. Yeah. Um, I take it back to like the Siberian, where they come from, you know, that's a rocky terrain. It's rough terrain. And I still, some people say maturity, other people say root zone. I still haven't been able to find a definitive between the two, but what I have seen is a heavy medium, just stall out the growth, you know, and if it doesn't stall it out, what it'll do is it'll force it into flower. Um, it can't, it, 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 can't move those roots as freely as it would like to, to get up into its best reproduction. And they just will convert right over to, okay, it's time to die out either by we're not strong enough to do this, or we just want to survive. But like most of the time I panic, not, and not panic, but I get concerned when I see barks in soil, when people growing autoflowers, because that's a hard stop. That's a restriction. And if it's layered in there and I mean, it's hard to tell, which way you have it laying in the pot, depending on how you filled your pot. You know, I think that could be something that people should consider. Uh, one thing that Brandon has introduced to me was the rice hall game. Like that was a game changer for me for both aeration as well as mulch. But like it, it, when it comes to the autos, lighter air or soil, if you've got a good organic soil, they don't need a lot of assistance in food, but teas. Uh, but if you're running something like ProMix, for example, that's a nice light one. And you have to feed that soil. Um, if that's the only thing you have is like a ProMix HP, um, you know, start looking at feeding those plants like doses around day three or day four. It was interesting. Yeah, well, I think, I mean, any plant, unless it's in a supplemented media, is going to need nutrients by the time it starts photosynthesizing. Right, Um, Once its leaves are open and it's receiving light, the nutrients are support for that, those photosynthesis processes for all plants, and they need access to them. Um, I'd be, you know, I often run up against people with uh, transplanting autos, um, I, I, when I grow autos, I start them in small containers, um, but I pot them up pretty quickly, um, into the final containers. And I, I, I really think that that's important to 
keep them growing as sort of quickly as possible to maximize the the sort of root zone. Um, and I think a lot of people start directly autos um, in larger containers, um, potentially because of some of the information or some of the thoughts that, that you shared. Um, just what's your, your thoughts about potting up? So, I mean, honestly, my thoughts about potting up, I, I think you need to know your cultivar for one. Uh, some guys have selected against the, the, the transplant shock that we used to see that it's not as common. Uh, I personally start in final containers. I usually just leave them alone. Um, and I've seen just as adequate growth from potting up as I have in the right container. Uh, I think it comes back to grow style. Um, I do transplants myself personally because I'm looking for the ones that can be handled with gorilla hands. Not a lot of people can be gentle enough without breaking off either the main tap root or some of the side roots as they're doing the transplant. They're just not gentle enough with them and they cause that stunting. And then it causes a lot of bad feelings either towards the whole genre of autoflowers or even the breeder himself or herself, whichever way that goes. But like, I, I guess I just don't think that that's going to be any different with any other plant there. I mean, yeah, if you break the top root during the transplant, your plant's going to suffer. If you break some of the, the side roots, it's not going to be that rough. But okay, carry on. Sorry. Oh, no, no, you're fine. And I agree with you. But the difference between the two is with the photo mm -hmm. period, you have recovery time. Yes. You can put it back into veg a little bit longer. You can, you know, heal that yeah. plant. But with the autoflower. But, right. Right. But we don't transplant plants because it's going to take longer and, and require us to keep them in veg longer. We transplant photo periods because it speeds them up and develops better, better roots. And I guess my point is that same principle holds for autoflowers too. Um, as long as you don't get either plant root bound, um, I, I do agree that, that binding the roots will speed the plants to flower and produce smaller plants in the end. But I've heard that argument a lot come back with sort of like, okay, because you have time to recover, but I mean, I don't take time to recover the plants. I do that so that they grow faster. Right. And I could see that. Uh, I definitely understand um, where you're coming from on that point. That's just, that's been always my take on it, my approach to it. Um, well, I, I think you're almost saying like that if you were selling seeds, like you are, so everybody else who transplants, maybe they're not going to do it perfectly. So you want to have the genetics that if they do get manhandled while they're transplanted, they might be able to continue to grow regardless of that. Um, right. Not to say that it's yeah, always going to awesome happen. That's an awesome practice. Um, but one thing I wanted to question um, because one of my, listeners of the podcast i can't remember who it is right off the top of my head but they said they only bought autoflower seeds and only grow autos because they cannot control light leaks in their environment for whatever reason and that they said well if they're going to have light leaks then it's less important with autos and maybe potentially less hermes just generally uh, is that something that you've come across or seen it sounds like you selected for that like you said sexual stability earlier i was listening i know it might have gone over some people's heads because you listed a bunch of things but that is definitely one thing a lot of people care about um, so do you think that there's less Hermes in autoflowers or is it just something that breeders have selected for to not get basically run out of the community? Um, I'm hoping that they're selected for sex stability or sex stability. You know, I think it's kind of important because if you're growing, you know, you want to produce something for either the home market or if you want to produce anything for the commercial market, I mean, nobody wants to see the crop unintentionally. Um, you know, the light leak thing I do see is hold true. I bounce. That's one of my like stressing reg regimens is changing the light cycle up, change it down 
um, you know, dramatic swings in the hours that it's on or the hours that it are off, um, potentially waking them up in the middle of the night on and off times. It all goes through that, you know, um, environmental and light change stress practices that I do for that. I, I don't want to say I see less herms in the autoflower community than I do with photoperiod community. I mean, I see it on both sides. Um, and I think, I think it's less likely and more practice on what they're selecting for and based upon stress tests that they're putting them through. Yeah, potentially other things. This I, it just clicked with me. This person lives somewhere where power goes off so consistently. I'm like, you probably get a generator, but although they didn't right. have one, it was like if power is going to kick off for a few hours at a time, it'd be better if it's a, a auto flower than a photo uh, for their sake. And so it was just a little easier for them. But like you were saying, it could be uh, there's Hermes on both sides, and it's definitely possible. So look out for them. I definitely have seen people grow autos that have hermed, and um, it might me be. Too you know, not from light leaks, but maybe something else. Maybe it's too hot. Uh, maybe it's too cold or, you know, the humidity's off. There's a whole bunch of reasons. Like uh, Kyle has done stress testing in the past. I think root binding uh, or over and under feeding and a whole bunch of other stuff can bring it out. And I know, Kyle, are you in the process where you've started working with your genetics into Dan's or um, how's the auto process going on your side so far? Uh, yeah, so I had some, <clears throat> I mean, I don't, if you guys remember way back, uh, it's, uh, it's on my profile feed from like, geez, maybe like a year, a year and a half ago or something. I was kind of messing with autoflowers and it was just becoming really tough trying to excel in photo and auto by myself. Cause I mean, you know, I, I don't have like partners and stuff. It's literally all just me. Um, so I kind of like took the gear that I did that I was working on and kind of just packaged it up and put it away. And then, you know, I was just kind of chatting with Dan and you know, I said, Hey man, like I have some really good material. It's, it's pretty unique. And I was like in the, 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 it's like a, these really greasy stem rubs that just smell like cotton candy and blueberries. And I was just like, and he's like, yeah, well, you know, send it my way and we'll see what we can do. And um, so I basically sent it over to him and he's been uh, working with it right now. I think, but I think they just got uh, pollinated uh, yeah. within, within the last couple of weeks. And uh, so he's really happy and I'm happy because, you know, I look up to Dan a lot. So in regards to, you know, what he does. So um, the fact that he, didn't think they were shit uh, meant a lot <laughs> so um but yeah that's kind of where we're at so he's he's working on their pregnant we're gonna guess uh you know dan could probably speak more on it but i think we're gonna see what that what that cross did and then kind of go from there whether um you know whether maybe it needs another uh, back cross or or whatever i just wanted to shed some light on the fact that auto breeding in general or breeding in general is not easy but like the auto part of it is not a simple process because i remember kyle had a pineapple express auto that he really liked the pheno of and then like reversed it and ended up the reversals like the s1s were photo periods so he had this great pheno that he really liked the smell of and then all the s1s ended up being like photo period and mephisto's i think talked about they weren't seeing autos until f2 and like regularity until f3 uh, when they're crossing out with the photo period so their whole f1 generation would be pretty much all photo periods and not until f2 were they seeing some autos and then by f3 they were stabilizing f4 they were picking for traits and things like that so i'm curious um does your experience kind of, uh, I saw you nodding, Dan, along with that. So is it pretty similar when you try to outcross to a photo period? 100%. I mean, it's rare. I have seen them in the F1, um, but it's on very, 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 very high numbers of seeds that have been germinated. Uh, personally, wouldn't select against that. Um, but yeah, it's usually F2. You start to get a mix of three. You're going to get, you know, up to 75% of them are going to be, you know, triggering into an autoflower trait. Um, and then F4, you start picking four, you start isolating things, you start selecting things down. Uh, I started at F3 with the Afghani stuff because I saw a higher ratio autos coming out of that um, at that time. So it was interesting to see um, different cultivars behave differently with it. Um, yeah. 
I would have imagined that um, Afghanis and fast flowering things would, you'd start to see it a little bit earlier. It kind of makes a little bit of sense with me. I remember DJ short, I think wrote about in his book and has mentioned a few times when he started breeding for his fastest flowering possible plant, he ended up making an auto unintentionally and he bred a plant that he called no high. Um, and I think is your Bobby's widow, a CBD, the one that you said it finishes in like 50 something days, or is that a THC plant? It's THC. I do have one that's a high CBG, but Bobby's widow is a THC dominant plant. Yeah. Well, that's awesome because um, typically like in the past, the whole moniker would be the faster flowering typically didn't tend to have higher amounts of THC, but I think that might've just been his anecdotal experience with the line that he was working. I think he might've picked up a CBD line and not realized what it was because he called it no high and CBD for a lot of THC users kind of feels like a no high uh, if you right. consume it, the flower. So that was just a maybe old school story that doesn't necessarily stand up now with the current fast flowering high THC varieties that are available. Yeah, I'd agree. You know, you never know. I mean, who knows? You know, it could have been mislabeled. It could have been anything. I mean, that happens quite a bit. Speaking of the CBG, um, I haven't really messed around with. I see it in hemp a lot um, and even autoflowering hemp now. Uh, what is your kind of take on CBG uh, as far as the experience of the user using it? And then just like, is there anything of note that you'd like to share about that? Uh, I'm still trying to figure it out. I mean, it was one of those things that shocked me on the test. It was something I had to go and try to educate myself about. Like I had heard, you know, you hear a CBD, you hear a THC. Uh, THCV, all the other variants. And when I saw CVG came out in a high, I know it's a precursor to C, you know, THC and CBD. Uh, but from what I've seen with the gem line, I, it's more of a medical people with migraines, people with um, vascular issues, uh, ocular migraines, standard migraines, cluster headaches, things of that nature. It tends to be more beneficial to them. I can't make any medical claims, obviously, but this is the feedback I'm getting from like, there's some patients that are, um, growing it in Missouri. Uh, a few of my friends in Missouri have grown it and he's getting it out to patients. It's one of the lines I donate the most to because, you know, people need their medicine. Um, but that's what I've seen as far as like anecdotal experience from a consumer side of it. I'm still learning about that, you know, minor cannabinoid. That's very admirable that you share it because it has that medical benefit. I think I, I wish more people did that in the community. I think sometimes people want to hoard it because I think it's special and valuable, but I think sharing it is really important. And Brandon, I think you had another uh, CBG variety potentially that was high in CBG. Yeah, um, the great aunt secret, that capulator bread, I actually found a cut and it usually tests around 2.4% TH, uh, not THC, uh, CBG. Um, the concentrate, when it's made in the concentrate, usually tests around double that. So it's pretty, um, it's pretty awesome to have that. It's actually, I was talking about that particular cut with my lady earlier. And she was, was saying, hey, you know, that's one of my favorite things. Um, and I had to cross it with the Mac V2 and grown that out. And we were smoking on some of it. And she was, I, I think that's one of the things that adds kind of more met, like a, just a, I don't know what it is. For me, it, I feel like less anxious, I guess, when I smoke that variety, I'm more calm. Um, and it's not, but not like sedative type calm, just less. Did you just do a bong rip of that one? Brandon? Um, 
No, I'm just joking. <laughs> Sorry. New Yorkers talk fast, man. It's uh, Oklahoma. You're living a slower lifestyle down there, Brandon. Bless you, brother. It's, uh, I apologize. You're smoking on that good, good. Nothing wrong with that. I am smoking on some pretty good weed, though. It's it's not bad, man. It's, it's pretty decent. I wouldn't expect any less over there. But uh, yeah, CBG is definitely an interesting one. Do you have any research or anything of note that you'd like to share about it, Brandon? I know you dive down a lot of the rabbit holes and get into the white papers and all that good stuff. Uh, ever since you found that cultivar, is there anything you'd like to share about it? Not particularly. You know, I don't, I didn't, I didn't go down the cannabinoid uh, rabbit hole like I do a lot of stuff. Most of the things that I'm looking at are you know in all honesty it's great when i see like high thc i mean honestly that's like what you want to grow if you're doing commercial production my personal preference is different than what i would do for commercial you know and and that's because what i like is different from usual what the market demands so you know i have to take that into consideration um you know, I can't always be like, oh, I like this, so let's grow it. You know, it doesn't always work like that. But um, I would rather have a wider variety of uh, profile, a wider, uh, higher terpene content. And I'm not super concerned about the THC content simply because, you know, s- some people say that oh certain varieties have like a mentally stimulating effect like all cannabis does that to me it all is like up like uplifting mentally expanding for me some varieties do it better and i oftentimes if i find something that like i smoke a little bit of and it gets me to that like place where i'm like things are like connecting and i just feel in a you know a better like conscious state you know more comfortable that's kind of like what i look for because for me that's what i want you know that's like what i do for my breeding stuff as far as commercial production like people look at testing they want high thc Terpenes don't mean too much. It's good if you have, it just, oh man, it's all over the place. Some people do look at that if they know to look for that, but most people are looking for the marketing aspect. I think people want to see something that's repetitive. They want to associate it with some, with a symbol, uh, having skews for packaging is really important. I'm just going on a tangent. I know we got totally off topic, topic, but. <laughs> You're right though about all of it. Do you think people will get wiser and educated and look at more than just the THC levels? I sure hope they, so. As soon as they grow their own. And that's why we do this. Yeah. That's yeah. part of why we do this. But... How many people are going to continue to eat mcdonald's and eat things that are told that they know are bad for them and do things that are unhealthy versus like yeah i can think of a few examples uh even in our community that's 
that's that's how it is. That's just how it is, right? Some people will go out of the way to educate themselves because they really want to understand and they really want to be independent, self-sufficient. That's why the home growing community is so tight knit, right? Because we also want to know how to be self-sufficient. You know, the home grow community is also probably looking up, you know, homesteading stuff and how to raise chickens and, you know, like that, because that's all the stuff that we're into. So it's type of, it's, it's lifestyle, right? And so if you're marketing as a lifestyle brand and you want to have a mainstream appeal, then you have to appeal to the population, you know? And so having SKUs and doing your marketing and imaging and just like every other thing that happens in modern day society it is something that needs to be taken into consideration. Education is where we all like to focus because that's where we all want to, like, we all want to be able to do, like, look, none of us are going to stop growing weed, right? Legally. Never, ever. Well, we want to bring people to our level of understanding because we think it's important, but a lot of people just really don't care. Don't there care. are other people that drink the Bud Light versus the craft beer. We're the people that are like a connoisseur. We give a shit about where it's grown, who grew it, what it smells like, what it tastes like. A lot of people are like, I just want to get high. I want something that's going to help me fall asleep. I just want yeah. something that has 30% plus THC. Um, so if that's what works for them, they're going to shop on that. And I agree with you, Brandon. It was poignant what you said. What you like isn't necessarily what the market likes. So you know that now and you've accommodated for it. You can grow strains that you happen to also enjoy, but it might not be your very favorite thing. It's like, oh, this one, yeah, it tests above 30% and it's also really good. So I'm going to grow that variety a bunch. But, oh no! He um, can grow. He can grow the one he loves the most, and is you know on his side. Yeah, I'm sure you're not gonna not grow you the one you love the most, no matter what. The, I mean, right? This is sort of <laughs> this sort of related to even how I do my videos. For example, like as much as I know personally, many people have told me this, and I've tried to do better about it. But like sometimes I'm just actually totally disinterested, or at least partially disinterested, in only talking about like the basics. Like I want you know, as, as perhaps wrong-minded as that is, I want people, I want people to know things like, like the taxonomic names and stuff, at the very least have a reference for it. So if somebody, if they like see it in a research report, if they're happening to even care to do that, um, or have other technical information, they can have that context. So I, I'm a big believer in championing that. But I think one of the realities I've had to really understand and i still come to grips with it every day is that uh lots of people just don't care and there's subjects i don't care about um and i am at a detriment for it honestly if, if i'm being very honest with myself and you would think i'd be a motivator enough for me to like pursue that but it isn't and i, I guess that's the human condition or it's just me i don't want to i don't want to project my problems onto everyone else like that but um, no i see that and you gotta know your audience and you know you gotta speak to your audience too is very true speaking of that, that goes for, part of for our audience asked us a question lou groan says uh cheap home grow what are your opinions on delta eight is it viable medicine for those in red states is it different when derived from thc cannabis or cbd hemp that was from Lou Groan. And I'll jump in first and just say, if you can confirm with lab testing, it's Delta-8. Delta-8 is Delta-8. So whether it came from CBD or THC, a lot of people might think it's controversial. I believe that it's the same thing. 
just like a lot of people don't accept uh, pining from a, pi a pine tree is the same as pining from a cannabis plant. It's not sexy to believe that. Um, but I do think that no, it's, it's not the science. Well, let's, let's be more specific here. So it doesn't even sound like it's because the way you just said that makes it sound like it's up for debate, but let's just be real honest with ourselves here. The difference between hemp and cannabis is an arbitrary number that some politician picked. Yeah. The legal label. You know, I think where a lot of this comes from. So if it comes from hemp or cannabis, it's the same fucking It's still cannabis. I, I agree, but there's, yeah, there's agree. like this there's this surge from early CBD production where it was like a byproduct of hemp production. It was like, yeah. And a lot of that shit was making people sick. So I think that's like a antiquated idea. Factor, yeah. Yeah. So, I but agree. then would it be the Delta eight or would it be something else that's in there? Like, I just think it has to be clean. You have to know it would it have to be from. something else. Yeah. It wouldn't be the Delta Delta right. eight is great medicine. I believe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like the actual single thing, like, um, as a direct for example, Why, it I can mean, be, effective as a, a pesticide but it can also come along with a lot of other pesticides because the pesticides that were sprayed on the tree so depending on where you source it not all azadiractin products are equal matthew has made me aware of this several times and a lot of people champion them a lot of people hate them um i am a little bit indifferent i just like to realize that they're not all the same um so it's important to realize not all delta 8 products are the same you got to know where you're getting it from i think i often like to say that um, oh okay. you go first Okay. The, the, I'm just going to be quick. And this is my, uh, you've heard it from me before, but I'm more, when it comes to medicine, when it comes to healing, in my experience as a caregiver, and, and this is just my own anecdotal experience, I guess, but I'm doing this for, for, for years now, and it's the full plant medicine. It's the, the widest range of cannabinoids that seems to be the most effective, not doing the opposite and singling out one uh, when you start doing that you start doing the same thing and i'm not saying pharmaceutical is bad but uh, that's what the pharmaceuticals have to do is they have to isolate like one single thing out and then they can try to patent that because you can't patent nature they gotta make it different than what occurs in nature that's why like these carts compound from something else yeah, or yeah, exactly. Well, they can even do that because you can't just get a patent on on something that comes from nature. That's why natural medicine has been shunned by the institutionalized medical field is because you can patent, you can have, you can make money off of medicine. Commercialize it. it. Something that's a synthesized derivative of a natural compound that's been found in nature. Yeah, and I think, you know, nature does a real good job of putting these compounds in the right balances for us. And when you start messing with that, that's when you start seeing side effects, in my experience. So I understand you're in a special situation where you can't get the full plant medicine, but you could get hemp. You could get, you know, hemp flour sent right to your door. High terpene you, hemp, too. That. Which is... Yeah, I would smoke that, you know. Um, or extract it even like you do uh, make like high CBG and high CBD oils. And then like, yep. you can smoke the flower that is terpenes in there. There's a aromatherapeutic element. Uh, some people refer to the entourage effect. And I do think that it is available in states where they have heavy metals testing, pesticide testing. Um, there's a few different places that you can go and get it. They said, uh, Lou Groen follows up with, do y'all know how Delta A is made personally? I don't. Um, but I have heard that it can be made in a lab. So it's like something that you can synthesize from Delta 9. 
or CBD from what I understand. Possibly grown from yeast too. I know they're doing experiments. Doing yeah, they're doing that with uh, everything. Psilocybin too. But it, ha- it has to be synthesized though, correct? It's... Um, what do you mean? I'm not sure about that. I don't know if it can be found naturally in nature or if it was something that was a product of a lab. It used I, to be extracted from hemp because you could it grow can it definitely, But I'm a sorry. lot of these states, like Michigan, they just passed a law where hemp can't ha- that's being thrown in with a THC percentage now. So total THC percentage is now it's counting against them. So yeah, just I, I, I thought I it a, was in natural in each like in cannabis, but in small small amounts of delta THC eight. I think there's a conversion. Real quick, I think there's a conversion process because I age my cannabis before I make RSO. And I, one of the batches I made was 60% Delta-8, lab confirmed. Okay. And it wasn't anything special, but it was naturally produced. Now, I think the plant probably only produced minimal amounts, but there was some sort of conversion process. Think of decarboxylation, but right. maybe not okay. a carboxyl compound, maybe some other compound or something. Well, yeah, you made it in a I certain think you're thing right. too with heat that might have maybe somehow mm-hmm. changed it from delta nine but to that's eight. i don't know we consistently use heat and this stuff had been inconsistently aged oh okay so that's interesting the aging process is probably what you're thinking led mm-hmm. to the delta eight jumping yeah so it can be found naturally and i definitely know it can be uh, done in a lab i know like hydrogenized cannabinoids was something they talked about on hash church for a while one of the guys like dr mark would come on and talk about he hydrogenized cannabinoids and it was something that you can only do in a lab, but they like patented the process. And um, there are things that you can derive from cannabis that can only be made in labs uh, to, to his knowledge. And there's been no other published data to be shown that it's been found on a plant, but the hydrogenization process is something that's standard across many industries. So I, I heard that the hydrogenated, I think it was hydrogenated. I think that's the right terminology. Uh, cannabinoids was, um, where they were quite uh quite potent yeah i think he's he's claiming that they are more potent it's like the thcp and cbdp as well some of these newer cannabinoids might be more potent because they're found at such low amounts i think like spartan was mentioning earlier the full spectrum of cannabis like that's why i think a lot of home growers love uh just the flower or you know as full plant as they can have it and hash or oils or extracts whatever it is um, those minor things that all add up, they all stimulate our cannabinoid system, our ECS, endocannabinoid system. So um, whether they're being pumped up by concentrates or breeding or whatever it is, uh, certain people are probably going to respond well to specific ones. And I think it's uh, interesting to see all the changes that are happening because for so long it was, I think, Delta 9 THC was the high target. And it still is to this day. We talked about earlier. I mean, it's got to have 20% plus, right? T- uh, THC or else most people won't buy it 25 in places. I have one right now that's 35% and I've seen 40% testing in California. So uh, tests keep on going higher. From a medicinal standpoint, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. You know, uh, if it, if it like, if the chemistry of this, of the hydrogenated uh, cannabinoid or or whatever compound we're talking about, um, like perhaps it lasts longer, perhaps it has slightly different effects or something like this that helps with an ailment. You know, um, I think it just really depends on the context of its use. I totally agree. If it has benefit, then let's let's use it. One thing I wanted to say earlier about Spartan's comment to the whole, um, you know, using the more full spectrum. I have this little pen right here. I used to never, ever puff on these. This is my wife's battery. It's pink. It's got a bunch of little weed leaves on it. So you can make fun of me if you want. Uh, but these things, it's got I a car say, attached. This should be pink. I agree. 
So it says like, there's a meme out there. It says uh, like the hand dryer. It's like never gets your hands completely dry. And then it surely doesn't say never get you completely high. <laughs> well, with live resin and like high terpene concentrates, even like if you take distillate, I've had 99.9 THC distillate. It barely gets me a buzz to the whole thing about Spartan was saying isolated. It's like less of a medicine for me, at least. Then when, if you have 95% THC distillate and add 5% of a cocktail of terpenes for flavor and the other uh, entourage effects, and even now like the live resin or rosin that's being put into carts, um, it definitely gives you a much different effect than even a higher percentage of THC. So that's to me kind of shows that you don't need to chase just the THC percentage personally for most people. Uh, the whole entourage effect, I think is a very real um, and relevant effect. Was um, I agree with you. I've tried the different carts. I've tried the um, rising carts and they were, the flavor was better, but I, I still didn't get an effect from it. But I understand I've got a higher tolerance, I'm sure. But, and I'm already probably predisposed to hate them. So yeah, you know, I don't trust you know, the, maybe what about what the manufacturer with the metals in them and stuff. I don't trust that, any crazy. of that about yeah. the testing okay. they test it when you put it into the cart they test yeah, it after you heat it up there's like three okay. heavy metal okay. testing so i got this from the legal market my wife works at a shop go. or whatever so we pay a little more for the safety there's no pesticides no heavy metals none of the bullshit that you might get in an unregulated market so i'm fortunate in that regard so if you're in an unregulated market like this yeah, you individual should be fearful, and probably yeah. i would not I trust them thinking. i would go flour only yeah. personally because even if flour with like i hate to say it even if it has pesticides on it the concentration is so much less and it's so much less dangerous People smoked pesticides on cannabis for years. There's Paraquat pot in fucking Mexico. And it was probably damaging to a lot of people and was not the healthiest thing. There's other pesticides. People used to spray all sorts of fucking harmful pesticides before people like Matthew Gates, thank goodness, and others spread information that you could use predator mites and organic other ways that are not so noxious. But people did consume some dirty cannabis for many, many decades, myself included. Fuck, I was in Cleveland. It's not like it was regulated then. Sure and that shit was... Some of it smelled like Long a tire. Time, it was yeah. But hey, can I, I, thinking, I, I don't, I've got one question and I, I'm not even sure, but I think it's, I think it's a good idea. But if I was in a red state, I would still just I would just order me some hemp and I would uh, concentrate it down. But if I concentrate that down and it did have trace amounts of THC, do you think I could get into trouble to be in, to get my THC percentage up high enough and say an RSO or something to be skirting the law there or not i don't think so because like my brother lives in ohio still and he's in a county at least where the can cannabinoid percentage 0 0.3 versus one percent they can't test it that fine it's either positive or negative at most police departments it's too fine of an equipment an hplc machine those are like 50 grand on the old minimum end so for them to be able to test it fine enough to say this is not hemp this is cannabis or whatever it, most of these places aren't even prosecuting minor cannabis crimes, thankfully, because of the hemp farm bill and all that's happened since then. Oh, but. that's exact. That's a hundred percent would be my my hack. Then I would do a, uh, I would go to a trusted, you know, find a source, maybe try to go and order an eighth off of every website until you find the flower that you really like. I'm not affiliated or anything, but the ones that I go to is called Happy Buds, I believe, Buds with a Z, at the end, and because they had the test results I could easily skim through. And what I would do is I would just pick four or five different varieties that have the widest range. So you're pulling in as many of these cannabinoids as you can, and then put them all together in, into uh, a concentrate. Now that could be something like just making butter and making edibles, or you can do an oil or you can do um, an alcohol wash and do an RSO 
but uh, that's the, what I would do. You'd still get, you're getting everything but THC. So it's still very, very medicinal. And that's the way I would approach it because then you're not even breaking a law. You're not putting anything at risk and uh, you're just going full medicine. That's, that's the route I'd go. And this stuff's really cheap. You can buy trim from Happy Buds. You can even buy trim and you can get pounds of trim for pretty cheap. And you're just doing extracts. So it should work just as fine. It's got tests to come with it. Gilbo, I think, uses that for some of his rollerballs and stuff. And I've recommended it to many of the Cheap Home Grow listeners, and they've actually all been satisfied with it. So I would, um, like I said, I'm not sponsored by them either, but it is nice to at least have a credible source that a few of us have tried and had success with. And I think uh, Tao and um, Dr. MJ wanted to jump in there as well. Maybe Doc first. I did. Oh, I don't know. I saw your thing. Up, <laughs> I'm just but... sitting here. I'm like, wait, what the hell? Okay. Okay. The American now. Yeah. Get ready. Earlier. Get ready. Hurry up. Um, no, no, I'm just enjoying the show, man. I'm, I'm, I'm happy. I was, I was going to request to hijack the uh, topic for a second. And uh, Matthew Gates recently posted an amazing uh, post on IG. I was going to ask him. So if I understand correctly, Matthew, they had a big ass Petri dish and they put like two other little Petri dishes in one with, roots that had mycorrhizal hi-fi growing on it and one with nutrient and the in-between was inert material and the mycorrhizal hyphae found the nutrients and brought it back to the plant by by going across the inert media and it ended up doing that am i correct is that correct do you mean the one that i posted today yes so in that one, it was about how uh, um, basically a mycorrhizal fungus that that lovable scamp rhizophagus irregularis or whatever. Um, right. Yeah, that very common one. Uh, they were testing to see because that fungus can it had it can secrete as I understood in the paper it, it does it and other mycorrhizae and other fungi for that matter that are beneficial to plants they can secrete enzymes like uh, uh, chitinase to break down chitin, right? Like a very common organic matter, you know, whether it's from fungi, they're decaying and dead or whether it's from like insect or arthropod exoskeletons and body parts, um, which are super common in the soil, right? Um, that can be a source for nitrogen, specifically ammonium and nitrate. And although the fungus has the ability to break this down, seemingly it just doesn't do this. And, uh, in cases where there was um, a protist, uh, bacteria, which, yeah, well, a yeah. bacteria and a protist, okay, both of them. And so the bacteria had chitinic enzymes that it would produce, and that would break down the chitin. But then also that wasn't enough either. It was the combination of the bacteria that chit that uh, breaks down the chitin in this example, and also a protist that comes in. And I guess I guess it also. I think it grazes actually on the bacteria itself and that, and that sort of, you know, the necromass that people like to, to mention um, in the microbiome that also contributed to the, um, the nitrogen uptake uh, by the fungus and transference to, well, actually, no, the, the, the transfer itself, the uptake difference between having just is it by itself and the bacteria plus the produce was like 65% more. Okay. Um, and so the, and so the interesting thing here, I guess, is that like, you know, was wondering why exactly that was if the fungus had all the capabilities to do it. And I guess part of the reason for this is because 
essentially it's more efficient this way. Um, it's just way more costly for the, the symbiotic or the mutualistic fungus to, to do everything rather than having the bacteria and the protist kind of, you know, do their first processing and then have the fungus come in mouth to your digestive system. Exactly. Exactly. The way, the way that I visualize it in my mind is like this, right? So you have a mycorrhizal fungi who lets a, a role play out between a bacteria who is mobilizing a, mm-hmm. a nutrient by sequestering it and then having something consume that so that it becomes and stays in an available form for that fungus to sequester and either either utilize or bring into the plant itself but it did go across uh inner media right is that wrong or did i is that part of that experiment I'm not sure um, what part you're, okay. I'm not remembering that part, but that doesn't mean it wasn't part of it. I might not have okay. like, yeah, I might not, I just might not be remembering. I do remember no though that the, well, one, one aspect of it that was interesting since you mentioned that part, I do remember that like it was a sort of a convoluted um, uh, research or uh, sorry, sort of experimental setup. It was a very, it's very difficult to kind of like isolate and have these sort of processes kind of happen. It's very hard to like replicate what happens in like the field essentially. Um, So they had to do a lot of things and that, and that could have been one of that aspect of like testing the difference. Um, Right. I think that's how it did it, but yeah, I'll take another look. It is just amazing in general how, how that, uh, because I know it traveled though, and the root was nowhere as near the nitrogen, and it made it to the root uh, petri dish. See, that's what ha- basically happened. I just have a question about general, like cannabis science coming up right now. Um, isn't it going to be easier for us to have uh, comparable to nature a thing as many people are growing either indoors or in a controlled climate greenhouse? So if you know, okay, like Brandon grows in a soil bed of X amount of size you can do comparative studies at those temperatures and, and soil beds of that size. And um, I think we're going to have more and more good research coming out. Like the, you know, there's just so many big business people and, and uh, universities that are throwing money at this now, trying to maximize yields, uh, cannabinoid yields, both the flower yield and cannabinoid and terpenes and everything like that. Like the University of Guelph study was one where they examined a drought stress in week seven versus a uh, normal control condition and they actually saw a rise in cannabinoids so that was just one example of many studies that can be done like the one that the american one and uh matthew were just talking about and it'll be interesting to see how they're applied moving forward like uh will they be able to come out to brandon's greenhouse and throw a petri dish down uh, examine it like a week later and like use that as you know part of a scientific study and um how are we going to start seeing the stuff applied um I'm, i'm really curious it's, it would be really difficult, right? Because some of the things that are going to be living in soil are only going to be able to live for short periods of time. Things that can't be isolated in a lab that are living off of maybe like a certain root exudate. There's all different, or maybe some type of organic carbon compound that's in the soil. There's so many different, you know, things happening and you're not always going to have 
the, the biology changes just like the chemistry changes as hydrology changes, as pH changes. All of those factors not only change biology, they, they affect the chemistry as well. So you would have to set up parameters where the, the moisture levels are the same, the water tension is the same, the temperatures, the humidity. You know, I mean, it would be a massive amount of data to try to be able to collect. And, and when it comes down to it, working in a lab setting to try to get a definitive result doesn't always equate to um, what works in field application. That's really true. And you know what we're really talking about doing by growing indoors and conducting tests is controlling variables. And that's something that I'm actually working on doing. I got a guy coming out uh, in Oklahoma. We're going to do some cannabinoid versus growth pattern testing. So I'm excited about that. So it definitely exists. It's possible, but replicating field circumstances, damn near impossible. Usually I think it's, it's much more effective to try to like answer a simple question and then we have to make in. So like, you know, like all, all results, the, the researchers make interpretations of that. And then, you know, they have those interpretations and then we build on those inferences. Right. But they're based on the evidence that they see. Um, so like, for example, uh, instead of asking, like, instead of asking a great big question that would require like so much, so many massive like variables to be controlled and then like different replications to be made, um, you can answer a different question that's much more succinct and easy to like in a controlled situation. And then you kind of broad, you know, you brought that to broadly uh, interpret that to, to other things, but there are of course pitfalls with that. And, and so it's kind of always sort of a cautious um, interpretation. That's why people tend to not say we have proven X. It's more that the evidence indicate seems to indicate X or, or, you know, they say that this is what happened. And so therefore, we believe this, like, for example, uh, in the, in the paper, I'll just quote a small section that says, um, cause I have here on the, on the Instagram post that, uh, they can, that the, so the mycorrhizae can actually take nitrogen um, from organic sources, such as plant litter or chitin, sometimes transferring part of this nitrogen to the host plants, even as they compete with those plants for limited soil nitrogen under other circumstances. Uh, they go on to say that it long has been assumed that other soil microbes play important roles in mineralization and or further processing of organic nitrogen before it can be taken up by the arbuscular mycorrhizal fungal hyphae, similar as in the case of organic uh, phosphorus. Furthermore, bacterial grazers have been posited to facilitate release of nitrogen to the soil solution as free ammonium ions from the microbes they ingest. And then uh, I cut off the sentence after that. But if you want, you can totally take a look at the report. Um, it's on my gonna, Instagram channel. I think to uh, bring us back to maybe soil, I think that Dan is a soil grower himself. So I'm curious to hear a little bit about your just cultivation methods. I know we talked about the breeding a lot earlier. Uh, I'm curious uh, if you could share a little bit about your grow with the listeners out there. Yeah, um, majority of my stuff is either organic uh, in a hugel culture style bed, uh, outdoor, or I use um, organic bag soils. I used to mix my own for quite some time, um, and then I've gotten thrown in the mix with Bio365, um, 
work with them quite a bit, actually, doing some testing with autos to see, try to help them refine their blend um, for autoflowers to get more of an autoflower geared soil. Um, you know, I, I mean, it, yeah, it's all organic. I mean, I use dry amendments, um, especially in the indoor. There's not much I really actually have to do to the Bio 365 except for feed it like um, castings tea every, I'd say about weekly, you know, um, and that's basically my practice is water only and compost teas. Not a lot of big science behind it. Um, I've never, I haven't dived down the rabbit hole as far as like Brandon has, obviously, you know, I try to watch it as gather as much information as I can from him. Um, but yeah, I mean, my practices are less overhead as possible. You know, let the soil do the work for the root zone and for the plant. You're in a greenhouse, I believe it looks like out there. Um, I with am. Some, like, is it straw or uh, what kind of mulch cover are you using? So uh, in the greenhouse this year is actually in 20 gallon pots. I was trying to keep the plant smaller and that didn't happen. What I think actually happened was the root zone grew through the bottom of the pot, through the actual straw into the soil that was there previously. Um, that soil, of course, has been amended two years deep, you know, two previous grows, no-till uh, style farming inside there. And then I did the Bio 365 in those pots this year. Um, a lot of top dressing, given the fact that we're 20 gallon pots and it was a long season for me. Um, I did, I think I started second week of May with those. Um, and they actually outgrew the greenhouse. I had to do a lot of super cropping to the center row. Um, we got way out of control. How early do you typically go out where you're at, uh, planting wise? <sighs> planting wise, I usually wait until I get about four, like I can get out as early with my photo periods here is like the first, second week of May easily. Uh, we're usually somewhere in the neighborhood. We're higher than 14 and a half hours of daylight. Uh, that's basically what I watch for that. Uh, we get super long days here. We get uh, 15.59 hours, you know, through the middle of June. And uh, from that point on, which is a struggle up here because, you know, we don't start flowering until super late into the season. And we're always up against the, the wet weather. We've got a question. It says, uh, many people might be surprised to know that you advise growing multiple plants in a single container with some cultivars. How did you arrive at that practice? So the multi-potting um, is what I call it. It's where I take a large container, usually anywhere between 10 to 20 gallons, and I'll plant up to 10 to 11 different seeds in that pot. And then call the males out or, you know, keep them in there for the breeding practice. It was mainly to see a bunch of phenotypical expressions for my breeding program. Um, when I was working with the first few farms out here, I suggested it in their 30 gallon pots because I wasn't working on feminized seed at that time. I was doing strictly regular autoflowers. And what that would allow to do is enough room for that plant to actually start and grow in there, pull the males out without doing any kind of major damage to the females that were residing still in the pot. And that's basically how I arrived at that practice. And what I've seen from breeding in that style is they do extremely well in garden beds or um, indoor beds, you know, like Brandon's beds that he uses. Like I see a lot of guys going to beds inside their tents where there's no competition for resources in the soil. That's a good point. I've seen some people growing them in like intercrops with like fruit and vegetables and stuff and actually having good success. So uh, that speaks to it's, you know, ability to thrive in that setting. And I think even just like going back to the whole Ruderal thing, Brandon, when he first started working with Ruderalis, I think was uh, guardian of the lost herb, sent him some from like actual, like over there in Russia that maybe hadn't been messed with at all. And his soil was so hot that like only the males survived, I think. And it was like of 50, I think like only a few made it, if I remember correctly, Brandon. 
Yeah, I, uh, those, you know, those seeds didn't really appreciate a nice fertile soil. They wanted to grow in basically dirt. Um, so they didn't want water. They didn't want anything. You know, they didn't have a, a whole, you know, a whole lot of need for what we typically feed um, our cannabis, which is super, you know, uh, hungry for everything, it seems like. So um, the autoflowers, the ones that, you know, I noticed that they're going to still need the same requirement. They're not, I mean... I think the thinking about autoflowers is because they're going to finish faster, this and that, but you can take a, a clone out of an arrow cloner um, and put it into a pot that would be the same size. And if you flip that same time, it's going to still require the same amount of nutrition, right? So there's no real drastic um, reduction in need for nutrient so you still need a good quality soil and if you're and if you know that your plants are going to go a hundred days you need to make sure that if you're in a soil pot that that's going to have enough nutrition to go the whole length of time you know i think there may be a misconception about autoflowers not needing um as much nutrient but the fact of the matter is cannabis all around is pretty heavy feeder um, and if you're not meeting a specific nutritional requirement um, and i see it in like tissue testing right i want to see a certain percentage of calcium nitrogen phosphorus and potassium and then i want to see a certain ppm of all the micronutrients and it goes, it's across the board, even if it was an autoflower, being able to meet the nutritional needs is going to still help bring out the potential of that plant. So you don't want to like just go into it assuming that you, again, you could do a photo period and kind of skimp too and get decent results. But if you're giving it everything it needs, you're going to get the best results. That's a great point. I think uh, I wanted to give Keystone Cops a shout out for the question that we read earlier about the multiple plants in the same container. Crack Babies DWC, a regular uh, listener, commented that they grew four plants in one tote one time, uh, and they ended up with basically one giant root mass. Uh, three plants made it to the end, and they had to call one male, but it ended up working out. So it's definitely a possibility for plants to share their root zone and root mass and still have success as Apparently long as it's fed proper. In my garden, too. I, right now, I have in those same sip containers I've been running forever. I've we been do. saying, I said to myself, fuck it. I've never really tried it in these containers before. So I've got right now in flower, I have a container with like, I usually grow with just one Spartan, Spartan glue, you know, the thing I've been growing forever. So, I, you know, I know that plant. And then I have another one with two in there. And then right next to them, I have containers with four GG fours in the container one in each corner. So I'm just going to see what happens right now. I'm, I don't know, early flower, but so far they're, they're fine. I think we run 270 plants per bed and there's 22 sections we're doing right now. I think, uh, six, nine, we're doing 13 plants per four by four section. 
So we're sharing a decent that amount dense. of space. You know, one thing I wanted to comment on, Brandon, I think a lot of the um, earlier thought patterns with autothars not needing a lot of nutrition was before the heavy hybridization that's gone on these days. Um, earlier on, I could see that because the ruderalis, the ruderal trait is feral. And those things, like some of the research I've been doing on like the old school, the original ruderalis, these plants showed up in areas that had like massive um damage or to the actual area and where they were grown. They came back in to kind of restore that area before the natural vegetation could come back and healthily grow and restore that area. Kind of like morels do after a burn up here. Like, you know, we go hunt morels on burn paths because they come back in to start reworking that area. And I think with the hybridization, we're seeing the actual demand increase because they're getting bred more into their photoperiod, or photoperiod cousin. So initially I'd say seven, eight years ago, I could see a low demand and Jeff Lowenfels preaches that too in his book, you know, they do need, you know, they tend to have a lower requirement. Um, but at the same time, I see the complete opposite of what you were talking about is like the newer hybrids that I've been working on, the more that I work them, the nutritional demands have increased dramatically than seven, eight years ago. It's cool that you can see it and trace it over time uh, just by breeding it. And I think that does come from being more photo period represented within that auto. You've captured what you want, which is the auto flowering trait, but you're also getting a lot of those benefits from the photo that you were looking for, or essentially just maybe the potency, whatever it is. Um, it's, it's cool to see that it's changed over time. And that's uh, one of the beauties of being a breeder. You know, you directly have an influence over not just the color, but also other things. So I'm glad to see it. Yeah, he mentioned something really important there in terms of sort of being feral plants. Um, a lot of wild plants would really suffer under the amount of fertilization that we grow most cannabis plants under. Um, and a big part of sort of what primarily the photo periods have been selected for over decades now has been high production under a, a nutrient intense regime. Um, and that's really what we're used to. We're used to growing and we use a lot of fertilizers, whether you're growing organically or synthetically, we're all using sort of a lot more fertilizers than you would use on other plants. Um, unless you were growing another like high producing commercial domesticated um, crop, like maybe tomatoes or something where you're really sort of, the, the plants have been selected for that. So it is possible for more feral plants, certainly. And, and also for some land race plants to be um, a little bit more susceptible to to high levels of nutrients i, I would like to mention to people that um that like the the sort of like land race cultivars and things like ditchweed like that's how ditchweed gets the stereotype that it has right is that uh you know we select for the cannabinoid and the terpene content and it's not that they don't have those in those plants as well compared to the cultivated plants but it's at a much lower level like we are definitely selecting for something that natural conditions tend to not and I think that's really important when people have a perspective that they're doing something the natural way, but like their cultivars, I mean, you know, that's true of just about every cultivar of um, a plant that, that humans grow, right? Like they are, they are demonstrably different domestication and phenotype. The well, that's like the definition of domestication is are exactly. they demonstrably different than their wild <laughs> relatives? Um, you know, and has that selection produced sort of discernible changes in one population vis-a-vis -vis the natural population? And do those changes 
make it more appealing for whatever reason to the, the cultivators. Um, so yeah, there are different stages of that and different things happen, but absolutely, Matthew. And one of those things is we breed plants to respond better to fertilizer inputs. Um, and <laughs> then they end up requiring it, but that's sort of the, the method to growing the, the fastest, highest producing crops. It is interesting that uh, sativum means cultivated. It also is like shown as sativa in certain varieties. Um, so cultivated varieties, whether it's corn, which I kind of wrote in a comment to myself over here to not forget, cannabis grows really well in cornfields. <laughs> I've seen that growing up in Ohio, people would chop down a little bit of the corn, throw down some cannabis seeds, it would grow up. And sometimes the fields were big enough that the farmer wouldn't even notice it. And they'd be able to go and get themselves a little crop and it grew very well. And to go back to like, Clackamas Coot, I know him and Brandon had a little intellectual debate, but one thing he put me onto was what people call the Coots mix. If you do it properly, he sometimes will misquote how much like basalt to put into the mix or whatever. But if you read the recipe, it's based off of what's called the Cornell mix, which is a soil that works for a lot of plants that are cultivated plants, which is a third aeration, a third compost, and a third uh, Canadian sphagnum peat. And then he adds like a few amendments and other things to make like that last like 1% roughly. And um, it works very well for corn and cannabis and lots of other things like tomatoes that uh, we do cultivate more agronomically intensive than they would be if they were wild grown for sure. Um, but thankfully humans and their craftiness, we've kept good seeds that we've cultivated for years and produced better than the ones that we found out in the wild. And uh, I don't know, I think that overall it's for the greater good. We're getting stuff that people are selecting for like, he can, you know, make seeds that produce purple plants that have a certain flavor and a certain high pretty much every single time, which it's awesome to see uh, the consistency. Yeah, have any of you ever heard of the Three Sisters uh, Indian story about the three plants you plant together? Is there anything? Yes, I okay, has, the has there... Mesoamerican trilogy? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> has anybody done found out anything about planting with cannabis that would help, you know, cannabis along and maybe another plant? You know, well, there are many people to, who will who to will, that effect, though. To that also, effect, well, well, hold on. I, I work with those farmers. I mean, that that's, that's really true. my my primary expertise is I work with farmers who grow what they call milpa, which is corn, beans, and squash in tripartite intercropping, um, and it, it's an ancient sort of custom of letting the the corns grow up. The beans climb up the, the corn stalk and the beans help fix nitrogen. The, the squash acts as ground cover and mulch and prevents, you know, excessive evaporation and erosion. Um, they grow very well together and farmers are still harvesting them together. The farmers that I'm working with, um, a lot of them are switching over to modern varieties of corn in particular, those who are still trying to grow corn commercially. Um, and switching over to modern varieties of corn means that you start using um, nitrogen first fertilizers and they will usually remove the beans, not grow beans intercropped with that corn. Um, they switch over to like machine harvesting um, in larger fields, which isn't conducive to to intercropping and all the rest of this. So th this is exactly sort of the rub with advancing sort of particular plants um, and breeding plants that require those inputs or that do better with those inputs is then it, it sort of ushers in a very different style of agriculture. So 
growing intercropping for those reasons, like having one plant trying to fix nitrogen for another plant, if what you're doing is trying to produce a big harvest, it's a hell of a lot more efficient for most farmers to just supply a secondary source of nitrogen as opposed to develop it ecologically within their own field. Um, and, and that's obviously got some rubs, right? Because you go from like the, the Mesoamerican trilogy, which is those three crops grown together for thousands of years in, in fairly stable patterns of ecological agriculture, um, being pushed out by, you know, monocrops with nitrogen inputs and other inputs and oftentimes machine harvesting. Um, this is this is a big sort of thing that's happened in, in all sorts of other kinds of agriculture. And I think we're we're pushing up against some of these issues in in cannabis as well. Um, you kind of, I don't know, I've said a lot, I'll let you guys. I, I don't know if any of that exists. Um, I was about to ask you to encore and uh, tell people about that story you told me, if you're comfortable with it, about the friend of yours, you left a jacket. Oh, it, this wasn't actually me. This is um, somebody else's story. Oh, um, okay. I misunderstood. Yeah. So no, sorry. But um, yeah, uh, Matthew and I were talking about um, sort of the prime directive questions, which is another interesting side of this. As, as an outside sort of scientist or as an outside advisor, um, what do we do in those situations? Like, what do I do with the farmers who are asking me questions about, should I continue to grow milpa or should I switch over and use this, you know, modern variety of corn with nitrogen fertilizer? Um, do we get in, in involved with these things or not? And a lot of people, that prime directive thing comes from a Star Trek where you're like not supposed to engage with, with other people or you're just supposed to like observe without influence. Um, you know, most anthropologists, when they go into the field, they, they recognize that they are going to influence the people that they work with. And people often sort of give us a hard time about that and say, like, oh, you shouldn't be, you know, corrupting these pure cultures um, and changing the way they do that. But oftentimes the people themselves really want to change. I mean, the people themselves see some of the cool things that, that we have and they want to find out how they can get them and stuff. Um, so one anthropologist tells this story of doing fieldwork in, in Tibet, I believe, um, with Sherpas in the Sherpa culture. And he left one of them after doing fieldwork with him, his Gore-Tex jacket, which the, the guy really appreciated having. And he took a picture of himself with his friend with the Gore-Tex jacket on and was showing it off to some people back here in the United States. And somebody commented that and they said, you know, oh, it's too bad. They used to use traditional clothing and now they're using this Western clothing. And the guy's like, he loved that jacket. You want me to tell him to get back in a yak skirt skin? I mean, he's like warm in that jacket. He loves it. And it's really selfish of me to like deny it from him because he would look better in a yak fur for your coat. Um, so yeah, that's, that's it. It speaks to society getting upset about things that aren't even involving them. They're looking like, Oh, tradition should be kept, but this guy's like very thrilled about the fact that he got something that's warm. It's not like it destroyed the entire culture. In my opinion, exactly. some people look at it. That yeah. Way. Yeah, it's complicated. It's complicated. And if you're looking to, to help people, it's a really good idea to sit down and really talk to them and figure out what they want. We have a few good questions from Potent Ponics that I want to get to. If uh, I think now would be a good time to throw them in there. Is there any documentation of the Three Sisters root biology? Always wondered that. 
And Brandon says his phone is going to die. LOL. Hopefully, uh, Brandon, if you do have to give your final sign out, maybe now would be a good time. And then. Yeah, my, my phone's about, I don't have a cord that's uh, big enough to reach. So um, I'll see you guys next week. And always fun being here. I'll, I'll talk to you guys soon. Right, Thanks for joining us, man. man. And if you want to hear, if you want to see more of Brandon's content, he recently went live with somebody on his Instagram, Brandon where they talked about bricks and sap analysis, which I thought was really interesting. So you should check that out. That just happened right before uh, this podcast, in fact. Also saw some cool products over at Bokashi Earthworks. He's got a cool little setup there showing off all the products. I personally love uh, Micro Plus and Amino N Plus. So uh, shout out to Brandon and Bokashi Earthworks. You can find them there on Instagram as well and his website. Uh, where you can get merch and seeds and all sorts of good stuff. So cheers, Brandon. Thank you so much for joining us. Potent Ponics also said, would you or would be curious if there are specific root microbes that evolved for those three crops, which is an interesting thing out there to the panel. I'm going to do a share screen about something uh, that is interplanting with cannabis that I find interesting while you guys talk. I could totally see that, um, you know, especially through domestication and cultivation processes, that that sort of consistency, having them together, Uh, would absolutely have some sort of an influence, but like, I think it becomes a question of what your definition uh, kind of is um, for like being like, like associated because, and I think this is also a really great, a key point to make with cannabis, as much as I like to hem and haw over the fact that, you know, these symbioses are often very gene-based, they're often very specific. It's not that there's only going to be one or two good microbes you know, that'll create an intimate, like mycorrhizal relationship, for example, or like, like very like epiphyte or endophyte, like into the cell, uh, interaction. Um, but at the same time, there are lots of generalists and there's also beneficial microbes that aren't like, you know, they're not just like things that kill pests and things that are mycorrhizal or rhizobial or whatever, but there are those that are going to just kind of hang around in the root zone area, the, you know, the rhizosphere but also maybe even a little bit past that. And, um, you know, there's a, there's a gradient of things that can happen. So I think it'd be really awesome to see, uh, if there were some that are like very specific to like maybe those families or at least those like cultivation plots perhaps, or, uh, what is, what's the cavalcade of, of, uh, different microbes that you kind of see generally. And there's been some really cool research about cannabis microbiome, um, forays, uh, I cite as much as I know about that, or many of the, the papers about it in my uh, Global Integrated Pest Management Review 2019, where I talk about cannabis evolution and pest host dynamics. Uh, it's it's pretty a- fascinating. It definitely is. And I recommend people to check out the Zenthal YouTube channel when they have some free time. That's a great video. I've watched it like two, maybe three times at this point. I'm showing off a video here from... Uh, Mendo Dope, for those who don't already know, I'm a big fan of them. They're up in Northern California. You can see they're outdoor growers, but uh, I've been showing some clips where they have some crops interplanted within their cannabis. Uh, but they're also, like Dr. MJ was mentioning earlier, it's not like they're uh, using them for like nitrogen, for example. They were still pouring compost and different uh, organic amendments into their soils, but they're doing their interplanting more to attract things like, I think I saw dragonfly, butterflies, uh, bees, other uh pollinators and things like that so it's just uh, cool to see i've actually had the pleasure of trying some of the product from uh, green shock farms which this guy mark right here uh, runs green shock farms and it had seven percent terpenes in a lab test and uh, i could definitely 
vouch for it. It stank up the whole room when you open up the jar. Uh, great flavors. Got to try the Pog, the Passion Orange Guava, uh, Fino of their tro tropical sleigh ride. So these guys are killing it out there. I'd love to see more people uh, getting into this. I know a lot of people like Dempure and others uh, have gotten more into like the interplanting. You see uh, different flowers just all around their gardens. And uh, I'm not doing the greatest job of finding the spots where you can actually see like here's a bee. Oh, you see that that flower, that white flower? Actually, uh -huh. this could be a teaching moment. Do you mind pausing on that white flower? With the one with the dragonfly or? Uh, the one right before you saw the bees. You're not talking about the clover, are you? Uh, yeah, I was talking about the clover. Oh, okay. The white Dutch clover. Um, you know, I, yeah, I, I'm sorry, actually. Um, so like... Ah, it doesn't matter now that you've all done that. <laughs> I guess Clover is pretty well known. I just uh, I was just going to mention that um, cover crop usually for sure. Uh, you know, I would like to point out then that um, something a little bit maybe more useful is that um, a lot of pollinators out there are flies. You know, fun fact. Uh, perhaps you know, way even way before bees were a thing, flies were. Certain flies were um, the pollinators to jour. And uh, I just want to say that for those who are into the regenerative agriculture space, um, you know, making, uh, having banker plants and seeing things like small little flies and, and long legged flies, and even some that you might think look kind of like, um, like house flies, they're actually, I mean, they lived in nature, they're a natural organism, and uh, they can be really, really important for. Uh, pollination of all kinds of native plants whereas and recently I think Beyonce got into a little bit of a, a problem with a lot of the ecologists out there that know that honeybees not to bogart the convo they um, they negatively outcompete native uh, other uh, native bees and other pollinators and so um, she was like making some point about saving the bees and but the bees that people think of are honeybees, but honeybees are not the, they're like cattle, they're livestock. Um, saying they're save well the bees. Is, yeah, saving, saying save the bees is akin to saying save the cows um, or save the, the pigs. It's not really something you got to worry about much. But I mean, also save the cows and pigs though. But also think. eat them. No, I mean like, yeah. <laughs> I do want to um, just add my support to the uh, the pollinators uh, one of the first things i i put in in my backyard was a just a pollinator bed so it's got like echinacea and that one was the one that surprised me the most that gets the most like diverse amount of just all kinds of there's always something buzzing around those but then it's got all my herbs you know like you know you get thyme and rosemary and sage my sage went nuts this year um I can't think right now, but there's just everything just in there. Dill was one. Um, and you grow a dill. A lot. Dill brings a lot of like the little hoverflies or whatever. They like to sit on the top of those. And totally and agree. And I have my uh, my outdoor right next to that, like right next to that <laughs> <laughs> on purpose. That is nice. Cool. Yeah, Borage is another good one too. Borage brings in a lot of pollinators and it's pretty. You know, I mean, it's diverse and I do a lot of interplanting in the hoogle bed. A lot of my autos go out there in between the tomato plants and the broccoli. Um, you know, I use two or three different types of clover 
Um, and I get a lot of the different flies that I've never seen before. I think Matthew, um, I had to ask what a hunter, I think it's a huntsman or a hunter fly was because oh, yeah. I've never seen a fly eating another insect. It was the first time that I had ever seen it. And it wasn't until I was really diversifying that crop out there that I was actually able to see these new species. You know, I get plenty of dragonflies. I put perches up for them. They like to perch in the middle of the garden. Borage really high cool. in silica, good for FPJs. Also, borage is uh, one of the, one of the like, only like edible flowers that are like a blue color you know they're they're a great they're very common i, I think is often used in confectionaries and also in just culinary use uh, to add a little bit of blue to a to a dish right, well, the pollinator is milkweed they give out milkweed seeds around here to try and reestablish the butterfly population i guess a lot of butterflies like milkweed apparently but uh i was just gonna say meetings that the only uh, plant i heard was associated with cannabis is holy basil someone claimed that it it can increase terpenes and lemon balm too like lemongrass i'll say also say save a tree eat a beaver you must protect the forests all right and that was the lorax thank you lorax there you go (laughs) well hey there's some beaver extract and some i think blueberry concentrates right that is correct no, vanilla, I think, right? I don't think that's what Todd was getting at. I know, but uh, it is interesting, <laughs> nonetheless. No, beaver meat is good. Can't say I've tried it, personally. Tail, though, is a little rough. The tail, that's pretty beaver rough. Tail. They, like, yeah, like well they pack steak. in the mud. They pack the mud with the, uh, on the beaver tail, dams. Yeah. That's like my friend. Your... Oh, no, keep going. We should probably be relevant. I was gonna say Doesn't it was, it was beaver... not cannabis relevant, but uh, Spartan was talking about rosemary, and I, I love alpha-pinene, mm. and I know rosemary even in veg when I pull it off of like <laughs> they grow it around here. But I think it's like a Spanish blue rosemary, if I'm remembering correctly. I'm curious what if you know what variety you grow, Spartan. No idea. I have to buy a new one every year because it dies in Michigan, so I just buy whatever I find at the uh, at the greenhouse. And I does it flower it. or does it just stay like spiky? No, it just stays like an evergreen looking plant the whole time. So it flowers here and it turns blue. Um, but I actually personally prefer like when I'm walking, uh, one of my clients has a dog and I'll pet the dog when I come in, my hands start smelling like a dog, you know, not the greatest or whatever. I go on the walk with the client and there's rosemary all around. You can just pull like even like a few inch thing, which actually could you use as a cut. You can go plant that and grow your own plant or whatever. But, um, if you just rub that between your hands, you'll smell in your hands. It's like very strong alpha pinene and other pinene. And it's just like a very wonderful aroma. It's used in culinary for sometimes the aroma and flavor. It's a, amazing plant uh, a lot of italian people are that's why i plan it i'll vouch for that and you're right man it takes like a few tines to season the whole dish man because it's so strong especially if you're doing a soup and it's going to chill in there for a while it's funny because um that is planted all around this one neighborhood and i'll see like there's a big tree next to it so like one spot will literally be getting light depth by the shade of a tree so the whole middle of the bush will be flowering and the left and the right side of the bush are still in veg so I'm like, this is really like a interesting phenomenon. Once you start growing cannabis and I, I didn't know shit about cultivating anything until I grew cannabis. So cannabis has taught me about all these other plants and it's uh, cool to see the high amounts of terpenes. I guess alpha pinene is one of the most common in nature. So it's a, uh, makes sense that you find it a lot in rosemary. So I've definitely inadvertently depth plant cannabis plants before too. So I know that is possible. They don't, it's just like a level and certain strains that once they reach that threshold they're like yeah this is darkness to me let's flip it 
it's amazing the shade response. Like some plants will stretch some and flower. Um, so it definitely has a big factor. I gotta tell you, I'm in love with growing outside though. I wish I could do it. You know, I wish I could do it more. I'm just kind of stealthily half-assed and, you know, hoping I can get to harvest with this thing. But I mean, to watch this thing just be its own self and be a badass, it's just fucking awesome. To, to the stalk on that thing is huge, sport. And I saw yeah. that on the IG. Like, look at the stalk. It's like, so wow. stupid, man. I've done nothing, man. It's like I've stripped a plant when uh, it started to get some PM spots on it. And it's all I've done. And it's been, I mean, I thought for sure I was going to go out there and just see, load it up with, you know, just go out there and start cutting branches off. But, right. dude, that thing is looking it's like. going. Yeah, it's it's like, well, I got another month to go or some shit. It's still super green. Not to uh, cut you off there, Spartan, but I know this is generally about the time that you could go. And I'm going to let um, Dan jump out first because he messaged that he's got to go help the missus. So if you want to give any final thoughts and shout outs before you get running. Yeah, uh, thank you guys. I hate to interrupt the flow of the conversation. It was great to be back on here tonight. I need to get my ass back on here more often. I appreciate it as always. Um, you know, great conversation, picked up a few things. So I appreciate it um it's always good to cut it up about the autos too so thanks for that spot on there appreciate the questions too guys um yeah if you want to find out more my instagram's full duplex underscore afn if you want to learn more about my cultivars it's nomautomatics.com thank you so much for joining us i really think that we don't shine enough light on the auto flowers a lot of the community is focusing more on that there's even like the auto flower podcast shout out to them shout out to the whole uh AFN, Autoflower Network in his name. The AFN stands for Autoflower Network, for those who don't know. Great community over there. There's a bunch of autoflower growers at CocoForCannabis.com as well. So uh, big ups to the auto community out there that are growing strong. Happy to see it. And thank you so much again, Dan, for joining us. It was great to have you. Grow love, full duplex. Thanks, thanks Dan. Grow love, guys. Appreciate you guys a lot. Um, I'm sure we'll all talk soon. Thanks for coming in. Awesome. Oh, thanks again. Yeah. Yeah. Take care, Have buddy. a good night. Take care. Spartan, I'm... Uh, this is usually the time that I give you uh, the mic to give any final thoughts and uh, any shout outs. I, I want to give a shout out to 2020 Mendocino just because they're the breeder of that strain that I was uh, waxing on about. So that was sparkle face. So 2020 Adam out there, you guys are fucking doing your thing, man. I appreciate you guys. And um, that's a cross of the snow cane that I picked out of their, uh, or the snow cane Fino that I picked out of their snow cane cross. So it's a little special to me anyway, because they're continuing to use that to breed. And that's just puts a smile on my face that, I, you know, I had a little part in that. Um, but yeah, thanks guys. Shout out to all you guys first and foremost, because I could do this show with just you guys, right? It's just like coming and catching up with the, with your buddies. And um, of course I don't want to leave out chat. Love you guys just as much, but uh, there's always something about having the consistency of seeing the same people again and again. And it's, uh, it's like family. So appreciate you guys. Uh, growers love and uh fuck the mcma <laughs> always a great way to sign out thank you so much spartan for joining us uh so many things that I can agree with there yeah it's always great to have spartan on i totally uh had a great time tonight on the show it's great to see everybody i talk to most of these guys more than some of my family so it is uh like a family in in that regard but it is uh We've got about 14 minutes left before our hour, and I'm curious if uh, anybody has any thoughts they wanted to get to before we wrap it up. I started growing plants again. Let's hear it. What's the first ones you popped? Um, I'm just growing two seeds, two little plants. I'm growing, uh, what the hell am I growing? Mama Mia, primarily because Chef OMJ, who is in the chat here, um, used to really love Mama Mia, so I finally decided to grow that. And um, this train I'm calling GSC, 
the GS is for Girl Scout, but the C is for crack. So I'm not going to refer to it too often by its full name. I really like that strain, though. Um, I dropped them on Monday. Um, they were germinated little plants on Wednesday. Um, and I got a germination video. I'm going to do a whole uh, grow series, video series during this grow. Um, and I'm working on my germination video today, uh, and it'll drop this week. It's great to put out new content for the people. The one thing I forgot to say, uh, Spartan earlier was talking about how they're still using his selection, which I think is kind of a big honor. I think selection is a huge part of breeding and the pheno that he selected out of their work must have been good enough for them to continue not only to use cross to their selection of that strain, but in this new sparkle face, which it's cool. He's got some love back from them and gets thrown out. So um, that's pretty awesome to see for sure. And Doc, I'm happy to see that you're growing again. I know it for me, every single time I stop growing, I kind of get like the itch, you know, it's like, oh, I got to get yeah. back doing it again. And you had oh, to move. I love it. I, it's so fun having little plants now, though. It's like, uh, you know, when you take like a sobriety break, I think it's kind of like that um, because I'm really excited about my little plants. I'm going in there and checking on them all the time and I'm talking to them. And yeah, I'm, I'm happy to be growing again. It's been a minute. The last time I had plants was for the, the New Year's Grow Challenge this year, which wrapped up in April. So, yeah. I'm currently smelling uh, Amy aces through my carbon filter, which needs to have the cover replaced because I got home the other day and, uh, I thought my wife was at home in the living room smoking. It turns out it was just the plants that I could smell as I got out of the car, like immediately just stank of dank. Uh, it's got quite a funk up close. It's like really citrusy, but then from afar, it's more of like a rubber, like a new shoe rubber with like gasoline and a little bit of another funkiness that I can't really, maybe even cheese. I know that there's some cheese in the lineage, but it's, a uh, it's just like loud smelling, like it permeates the carbon filter and it's all, you smell it as soon as you walk in the house, even if no one's smoking it, it's just a very strong smell. So I'm looking forward to that. That's coming down in the next few days. So uh, yeah. good job, Tao. I'm glad to hear it. And sort of, yeah, I'm still glad. Yeah, you're all right with it. You're allowed to do that. Yeah, dude, it's, awesome. uh, I, I found out, I used to be really nervous when I first started growing in the neighborhood that I'm in. And then, right. like, I saw a guy with Fox Farm just sitting out. And then, like, <laughs> you see people's, like, lights shining out of their fucking, uh, you know, houses and everything. So where I'm at, there's actually a lot of growers. So it's not too big of a secret, I guess. For I, mean, I still try to keep it low-key. So I'll, I'll replace out the carbon filter cover. And that typically does it for the next round. But some stuff, it just stinks right through, even if you have a brand-new carbon filter. So, uh, Dude, I feel like you're... Up you're in the scene in, in half baked where the dad is getting high on one bedroom and the son is getting high in the other bedroom and they don't know that they have it in common, but all they have to do is shake hands. And next to you know, it's like, you're that with your neighbors, man. You're one step away from having like a giant fucking sesh with your whole complex. I, I need to, uh, there is definitely, you know, some people are keep to themselves more than others. And unfortunately there's been, uh, I won't get into it, but yeah, personal life stuff that, uh, I guess the whole pandemic makes people uh, not open up as much, rightfully so, I guess. But uh, I don't want to get into that on this conversation. There's enough of that in the news and everybody's day-to-day -day life. So we'll keep that out of tonight's conversation. We've got about 10 minutes left. Uh, speaking of Tao and his Amy Aces, how are your other projects coming along? I know we've talked about breeding tonight. You've got a little bit of the blueberry crosses in the works from AKB Brains, if I remember correctly. How's that going? Is there any updates, anything new? Uh, not too much new. I... I didn't make anything new. I haven't started any of those yet. Um, I had to like stop uh, some areas because of the heat, but 
and I also have all the chocolate. Um, I started uh, the OG chocolate tie F5s is what it was labeled from AK Bean Brains and the chocolate seeds that were feminized. I got three of those, I think three, maybe only two ended up really surviving. But I got, I have those going. So I haven't started many of the uh, blueberry crosses I made, but I did send out a lot of testers and a couple of them came back with really, uh, yeah, really frosty. There's one I reposted on my uh, IG. But, um, and then to, uh, someone else, he, he tried the, uh, he ran out the Amy's, the Blueberry, and the Bruce Banner by Cheesequake. Bruce Banner number three by Cheesequake that I did. And he's like, oh, that Bruce Banner is so special. That's the one. That's the best one. That's the best one. But everybody else, like, loves the Amy. But um, I'm going to, I want to try a whole bunch of that. So, yeah, there's, a, there's I have so many I want to start that I uh, don't have the room for. But I'm going to run these chocolate, everything chocolate first, and then start going through other stuff i know you've been talking about the chocolate hunt for a while so once you got your hands on that stuff i'm sure you definitely made the room available that you did have so i hope you find it uh i think like if you seek you shall find typically with cannabis and it might not be on the first hunt but you put it out there people will keep on sending you chocolate or chocolate re related genetics and eventually i think uh if you cross it into something or even just grow enough of the seeds you'll come across it hopefully i've definitely come across it and one of the strains that dan talked about earlier was the pinkleberry so he must be i don't know how plugged in with um kaya ross kaya paul over there who bred that and um maybe i know they has he has the coffee as well which is known to have mm -hmm. some dark chocolate and uh, rich notes like that so that might be something to look into as well yeah, people definitely say they have tasted it. So I know it's there. It's just got to be, yeah. So this is like the first place I'm going to look, you know, to chocolate because of its uh, reputation, kind of. And because AK Bean Brains, everything I ever tried from him was spot on. I, that's why I went and got, I supported him and got his, uh, what he labeled. Yeah, so it's probably really good, actually. I can't wait. So, yeah. Everything I've heard of from him has been good so far. Canna Queen just picked up a F4 Cali Mist, which I came out of nowhere. I didn't see him working with it or really talking about it. But uh, maybe I just, I'm not following him closely enough, but he dropped it. I think it was a limited drop. And then she crossed that into one of her other things that she's working on. So shout out to Canna Queen. She's still doing her thing, making some cool original crosses. I've got some of her seeds that I want. And guess how many seeds there are? And I was just counting my seeds like by 10 uh, a velvet punch for my testers at the time and i guess like within like five of the actual number so she sent me some of her i think it's a like queen white haze f2 and f3 or something but uh i need to definitely pop those at some point i've got so much stuff like that to grow and only so much space so it can definitely get difficult there um but with that said with six people left and seven minutes left on the show i think we can go around the panel and everybody give their final thoughts and shout out and i'll start um not like i normally would this week because there's not the normal crew right now, but I'll start with Kyle Breeder uh, first. Hey, thanks, Jack. Uh, yeah, I learned a lot tonight, man. Some stuff I didn't really know. I'm um, glad Dan was here. Uh, I have missed him. He's a really good dude. And uh, yeah, I hope everyone's doing all right. And I'll see you guys next week. If anyone's looking for feminized seeds, um, I do have a website. It's the letter P uh, followed by the word breeding.com. I do have a, um, a brand new uh, limited release coming out. Uh, in a, a couple weeks i'll definitely post on what date exactly and i'm also going to the harvest cup in worcester and i'll have some seeds there so if anybody's listening that lives in new england or wherever and they, you guys want to come uh chop it up with me for a bit i'll be there at the harvest cup um and yeah uh all social media platforms is pure 
breeding. Instagram's pure underscore breeding. And uh, yeah, see you guys next week and take care. Good stuff. And uh, do you have, if I remember from the DMs, do you have some of uh, Gnome Automatics uh, seeds available, either through your website or will they be with you at the uh, thing in Worcester, Mass? That's a good. That's a yeah. What's that? Um, that's a good question. I, I, I should. I don't want to say for sure, but yeah, I, I, I'll, I'll see. I look into that. I, I probably will. Um, um, but yeah, I'll talk to Dan. I gotta talk to Dan about all that stuff. No worries. I didn't mean to put you on the spot, but it was uh, definitely cool to have him and you on the show tonight as well. Always great. And uh, pass it next to Dr. MJ. Hey, this was fun. I uh, enjoyed talking to Full Duplex as everybody did. Um, and yeah, I'm excited to get back to, to growing out my little plants. So, um, everybody come check out my germination video later this week, subscribe to my channel, come check us out at cocoaforcannabis.com. Um, we're doing giveaways and grow challenges and all sorts of fun stuff. Um, and I will be back here next week, um, you know, to have more fun with you guys. Thank you so much for joining us. And next up, Aaron, the grower. Thanks, Jack panel. It's always fun. I had a lot of fun tonight. Uh, I think Dan is uh, sort of uh, underrated. He uh, he's, he's, he's an absolute plethora of knowledge. So tonight, this was really cool. A lot of learning. Um, I'm Aaron, the grower, atgacres.com, atgacres on Instagram. I want to give a quick shout out to C-Dub. Again, I always shout him out. He's such a good guy. He connected with Kazoo, got some of my rosin to him. And, uh, and that just warms my heart because I feel like that, that batch of granules rosin has just floated around the entire country. It's so beautiful and uh, so illegal. Anyway, so uh, I always, <laughs> always love being here. Look forward to seeing you guys next week. Thanks, Jack. Thanks, panel. Make sure to check out atgacres.com for some merch and plant factors. The best way to send a clone. Uh, thank you so much, Aaron, for joining us. Always a pleasure to have you. That granules rosin is super fire. Anybody who got to try some, very lucky. I can't wait to meet C-Dub. He's going to be C-Dub from SoCal soon because he's moving right down near uh, Jack Greenstock. So we're going to be linking up sooner than later. So C-Dub, yes, it's awesome seeing you in the chat and I can't wait to meet you in person. Uh, great people in this community and it's just awesome to actually link up with them. So somebody who links up with other members of the community is the American one. I know uh, one of the people I DM with regularly mentioned that they might've met up with you again recently. So cheers to that. And uh, final thoughts and shout out from you. Uh, shout out to you, Jack, for hosting and everyone on the panel. Uh, definitely shout out to Chad. I was in and out of chat. Sorry, I wasn't there the whole time. Um, and yeah. Oh, definitely shout out to full duplex for coming by. He's so, uh, I'm so glad he stopped in and I hope he comes on every week. So that was great. He is a great and, uh, dude. Yeah. I'll leave it at that. I mean, a decade of experience with uh, autoflower breeding, just thinking back, like you could see, he like reflected, he's like, Oh, we started autoflower in 2011. That was literally a decade ago, like 10 years. Exactly. And I kind of think of things in like a decade, how, how far they've come, but it's cool to see that that's exactly when they had started. And that's a lot of uh, experience. I've only been doing it for two years and you can learn a lot every year. So it's uh, cool to get to hear some of the stuff that he shared with us tonight. I feel very privileged and honored to have him. And last and certainly not least, I believe is Matthew Boots. I, uh, I definitely enjoyed the discourse today. I like that we got to talk about a, a bunch of different topics like we often are able to. Uh, not a whole lot of IPM as much, but honestly, I learned a lot of cool stuff, especially about my friend uh, uh, Gnome Automatics, and I'm really excited to have uh, that name become a lot more popular, and uh, I'm just excited to see both him and also um, 
pure breeding. You know, we have a lot, a couple of name changes lately, so I have to keep up with that. And uh, I want everyone else to be aware of that too, because they really deserve the, the credit. And if you want to find plant health information from me, you can find it in three places, mostly. My YouTube channel, Zenthanol, my professional website for consultation, zenthanol.com, and also my uh, Instagram at SyncAngel. It was a pleasure to have you this week as always. I know we didn't get to as much IPM, but I think that uh, it's cool to share some of the you know science that you shared on your page and uh, be able to talk through some of that things. And I think you have a lot of great input, whether it's IPM related or not. So always a pleasure to have you. And uh, I think I'm the last one and everybody else has given their final thoughts and shout out. So you can find me at Jack Greenstock, like you see right here behind me, if I lean far enough to the left on Instagram, as well as Cannabuzz, which I use very, very rarely. My notifications don't necessarily work like I'd want them to, but check it every now and then. You can also email me, jackgreenstock47 at gmail.com. And um, last one would be jack underscore greenstock on Twitter, if I didn't already say that. And if you want to copy the book, 50 Strains Green, uh, go to 50strains.com. It's available internationally and in the U.S. So thank you to everybody who's already gotten one. Thank you to everybody who shows up each week. Uh, Spartan mentioned that we could do this with just each other one week that actually happened like something happened with zoom i couldn't get it up to youtube and it's like the lost episode uh, i didn't have the forethought to hit record but we all just hung out for two hours and ended up talking grow anyway and uh i don't know it's a great time always with this crew and to see the regulars in the chat every week and to see it growing uh new people every week as well it's just an awesome uh, thing to be a part of so thank you all so much for allowing me to do this and host a show and uh learn and grow with all of you each week it's uh, humbling and awesome so with that said, Jack Greenstock, signing out.